So let's see, uh, let's see, we're going to start a whole series of um, adult ed classes. So um, this one is on the Shema. Uh, not that I really, I'm not a singer, I'm more of a dancer. Um, but I wanted to start with, how about this, I'll sing the Shema in, uh, I'll sing the Shema because that's, you're supposed to sing it. Um, so I'll sing it, and then we'll all recite it in English. Does that make sense? So, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Listen, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Amen. So this class is on the Shema. Um, so the Shema is the heart of Judaism. And uh, I'm going to teach this class because... The theme of all the classes will be, this year will be community, community, community. And the prayer of the Shema is not only the heart of Israel, but and this is going to be important, it also is a prayer about community in one sense. Um, but here's a story, this true story. After World War II, there are thousands of Jewish children that were hidden in Catholic orphanages throughout Europe. Um, but the problem is, you know, they were hiding them from their Nazis, so all documents were destroyed. And if they're little kids, how do you figure out who's Jewish and who's not? So the rabbis came up with an interesting way to figure this out. Because if you're Jewish, as you know, you're supposed to pray the Shema, sing the Shema, I should say, sing the Shema um, uh, every morning and every evening. And it's supposed to be the prayer on your lips the moment you're dying. And so what they did is go to these orphanages and start to sing, Shema Israel. And whatever kids knew that melody, you knew that they were raised Jewish. Does that make sense? Um, so that's how they picked it out. They just rang teams to sing the Shema. Because as I said, I, I love that story, but it also emphasizes it is the Shema is the prayer of Judaism, which always makes me think, how would you pick out a Christian? How would you pick out a Catholic toddler? How would they know that they're Catholic? Um, but this prayer, the Shema, it really should also be ours. Um, and so Jews, uh, this is the Shema, uh, Jews, they pray the Shema. Uh, um, oh, here, uh, you can't really see this well, well but um, did you ever notice, sorry, I have to zoom to fit. Did you ever see this little box on, do you see that? So Jews, when they pray, they'll wrap their arm in this leather bound that has Deuteronomy on it, or the rabbis will pray with this box on their forehead. So here's an example. Um, um, here's another example. Um, I'm not really that good. Oh, oh. Don't want that. Um, I'm not, obviously, I'm not really, um, oh, wow, that's really high. Um, 
Do you see the little box on his forehead and the leather? So that's Deuteronomy, but part of it has the Shema on their forehead. Like, that is just supposed to be so part of Judaism. Um, it's a central prayer and declaration of Judaism. Uh, so why wouldn't I want us to do a class on this? So I just want to go over what the Shema means. And I'm going to emphasize, really, three things, just to let you know. One, what the word Shema means. And what it really would mean is not listen, but attention, pay attention. So if you're doing the Shema in sign language, the, I guess the sign for listen is this, pretty obvious, right? But if you do the Shema, the, the Hebrew of the Shema is uh, this, which means pay attention. The word Shema does mean to listen, but it doesn't, it means more than listen. It means pay attention. And so Proverbs 20 says, Ears that shema and eyes that see, the Lord has made known. And the idea in Judaism is that if you pay attention, you'll discover God. So just the word hear is a poor translation because also the word shema does not mean just to listen. It also means to listen and respond. So, um, in the Bible, it says, if you, God says, if you hear the cry for help and do not run and help, then you did not shema. So, if you hear somebody cry out for help, that's, you, you heard, but you didn't shema. Shema means to listen and act. And unfortunately, most of life is like this rain machine you know have you ever seen those rain machines somebody gave me one because i'm an insomniac where it's a machine that just plays background music of status um i personally found it very annoying um but it's supposed to help you fall asleep but to be honest i think most people to the very important things of life it's everything becomes background um and all you really hear is a background sound but you really aren't shamai so Shema means that you're not lulled by the background noise of life. Or years ago, I was visiting my sister at her house, and I was playing chess with my uh, nephew, who was in elementary school. And my sister, who's a bit of a yeller, um, uh, she said, Matt, set the table. And he didn't do anything. We're playing chess. It's not my problem. Um, so then again, my sister yells, Matt, set the table! And my, swear to God, my nephew says, you know, if she, you ignore her, she'll eventually just forget. It's <laughs> 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 like, oh my God. He can hear his mother. He is just working not to hear her. <laughs> so then she yells, Matt, set the table, or no basketball. Boy, he was up. <laughs> um, but most people, they've been lulled into life. Now, here's the odd part, and this is shocking. In Hebrew, there is no ancient word for obey. Instead, it says shema, because shema means to hear and put into action. Well, that's really what the word obey means. Obey does not mean um, servile subsequiousness. Obey means, or some shema really means, 
you're so attentive to life and God and other people and yourself that you just put the will of God into action. So Shema is real listening. So the prophets in Christ will say they have ears, but they do not listen. They do not Shema. Or in Exodus 19, God says, and I like this, literally God says, if you Shema, Shema me, then you'll become a kingdom of priests and your holiness will shine. Notice God just doesn't say Shema, listen, pay attention. He doubles it. You must really, really listen and you'll become holy. Now, Christ is going to repeat this. Christ connects Shema-ing, listening and responding with the kingdom of God. Really listening turns us into a kingdom, a real community. Um, Now, to be honest, I don't think people really shema. So I can tell a thousand jokes about this. My big one is, um, and this happened at my former parish, um, Holy Apostles, but it's also happened here. Like the busiest time of the year is just before Christmas, and the absolute busiest is the Triduum. So the for Christmas, the office, I give them off for Christmas and Easter, but they're off, I'm really busy, um, especially Easter. So Christmas came, and yeah, I, I am getting ready for everything, but people keep coming and say, hey, could I, could I schedule up? No, the office is closed. And even though there's a big sign that says office closed, it was one person after another, and I would stand right by the sign, and I'd say, <laughs> oh, the office is closed. Well, it only takes a couple minutes. I'm busy. So... Then one year, because I'm, you know, I'm a little obnoxious, just let that out of the bag. No, I am. I, uh, Gail, I know, you don't believe me, but trust me. It's just, you're a little naive. Um, so then I decided there is no way people are going to miss this. So I put up, and my staff said I went overboard and was obnoxious, but I don't care. Um, I put up like 20 signs going every direction, office closed, office closed, office closed, office closed. And so... When Easter came, the Trudeau, like we're trying to get ready for Easter vigil and the practice. There's a lot to do for Holy Saturday. And people would show up and there'd be 20 signs behind me saying, well, do you think I could register my kid? (laughs) People don't really shema. They just know what they want and anything else they tune out. So, um, or like I told my staff, you know what we should do? We should put one of those chalk outlines in front of the office door of a dead body, <laughs> then with a sign office closed. But, or the other joke, this priest, and I think this is funny, but it's obnoxious. Do you know how many times you put it in the bulletin, you'll announce it at mass, you put it on the website, and people say, how come you never announced? <laughs> um, so this priest, I think it's pretty funny, he made t-shirts up for his staff that said, it's been in the bulletin for three weeks. <laughs> And my only point about that is, um, uh, like, it is amazing. People really don't pay attention. What they attend to is their own emotions. This is what I want. This is what I want. Doesn't matter that you know there's a dead body right there. They want what they want. And so, think about this: the ancient, ancient prayer of Judaism. And I have to over. 
is Shema, where God says, I command you, pay attention. Now, this is going to be my first point, is that to be Jewish, what if God commanded a whole tribe of people to be really good listeners, to be attentive? And we inherited that. Christ commands us. We're supposed to be professional listeners. Our spirituality, daily prayer, we too, if you follow the Bible, we're supposed to pray the Shema every morning and evening. We're supposed to stop and look and, and listen for God in the ordinary events of our day. So there's one saint I love, uh, St. Lawrence of the Presence of God. So his name is St. Lawrence, but he's known of St. Lawrence of the Presence of God because he was in World War II, the, sorry, World War I, this soldier. And I guess he was a huge man, really big. Um, after... World War II, he sees this bare tree, and suddenly um, he gets this mystical vision that he is the bare tree. So it leads him to this conversion. He becomes a monk, but you know, he didn't know Latin, which you know you really can't be a good priest without Latin. So um, they assign him to be this monk in the kitchen, and lo and behold, he becomes incredibly holy, and he would say, you know. I can find God in cutting carrots and onions and doing, I can find the presence of God everywhere. Um, I also like him because um, he was a big man and he said, I tend to be a big man who breaks a lot of things. <laughs> so my joke is, I tend to be a short man who breaks a lot of things. I, <laughs> but like, his spirituality, he would call it uh, attending the presence of God, uh, just in the kitchen, in labor. But isn't that what's behind the Shema? Uh, and you only see to that which you attend. And I know I mentioned this, but it's a really great um, um, story, so most of you guys will hear this. But um, they did these psychological studies. And the point of it, in case you miss it, is you only see what you want to see. That's before any evidence shows up. You will only accept the evidence you want that you're looking for. So when atheists say, I see no evidence of God, my response is because you're not looking for it. You're looking for evidence that God doesn't exist. And so I'll give you an example. Do you remember um, there's this very famous study, not kidding, true story. They gave this group of people, we'll say it's you guys, this task to watch this video of a basketball game. It's a basketball game of people. You can go on the YouTube and check it out. Um, and you're supposed to count how many times the ball is passed back and forth between white and black shirts. And guess what? People always get the right answer. Isn't that amazing? You guys are so sharp. <laughs> Except for the fact, then the second question they ask them is, well, did you see the gorilla? And the odd part is, true story, among this basketball game, this guy walks out in a gorilla suit, waves to the camera, and then walks off. None of the people, well, actually, that's not true. There's a tiny percentage that did notice. But most people didn't notice the gorilla. And you have to say, why didn't they notice the gorilla? You only attend, you only see that which you want to see. Does that make sense? You're only focused on counting. That's all you see. 
So do you remember the st- uh, show, I can't, Hidden Camera? Was it called Hidden? Candid Camera. You know, they played all these jokes on Ken Camera, like you'd come to the um, front desk and I would be talking to you and then you'd turn around and then like uh, somebody completely, a black tall man is standing there. You continue the conversation, didn't notice the other person had changed. You could change it with a woman. You, You didn't ever see that. Most people don't notice. Because all they're really attending to is their own desires and their issues. Like you can completely switch out the person they were talking to. And it's funny on candid camera, but it reveals something about us. Human beings, we really don't shema. Um, Most of us drive through life unconsciously paying attention to just what we have chosen to see. We're all like driving home, like, did I even stop at any stoplights? That's actually us. And so I, I love twists where, oh, Shema, pay attention. It doesn't mean listen. It means pay attention. Or like I love the Harry Potter books, but um, somebody asked me, and I didn't know this, um, it's only at the end that you get all the clues. To, how many people read Harry Potter? Oh, well, then you're not going to really get it. But... Um, uh, Harry hates this one teacher named Snape. And I think it's Snape. Is it Snipe or Snape? It's Snape. Um, Snape actually loved his mother. And at the end, you find out that Snape was a double agent. Snape really loved Harry. Um, And so the first time he meets, he chews out Harry and he says, what do you get when you get this and that and that? He asks him three questions. But if you diagram what each question means like one is a type of flower but it's a flower that's a lily another question question is about regret so if you put all three questions together you realize i mourn lily lily was his mother and like at the very end you realize even though he spoke in a harsh term snape actually was protecting harry and loved harry But Harry only attended to his anger. So he always thought Snape was his enemy. Or Emily Dickinson, the poet, this is about Shema, said, and I like this quote, there is only one command that I have never broken. Pay attention to the lilies of the field. But she said her gift was that she could pay attention to the very small beauties of life. And that woke her up to the divine. If you're going to fall in love with God and other peoples and yourself, first you have to learn to pay attention. So there's a there's other great book. Um, the same guy that wrote Lost Connections, he also wrote this other book called Lost Focus. And he said, our society with cell phones and all that other stuff, we've lost the ability to concentrate. And They've done all these studies. People can't read as much as they have before. I actually asked a friend who's this, she's a brilliant reader. And I said, do you think that's true? Do you think you've lost the ability to concentrate for a long time? And even she said, yeah. And she's a voracious reader. She says, I just can't read as long as I used to because we're used to a very ADD world. Or, this sounds awful, but they did these experiments with toddlers. Uh, You can go on YouTube and check it out. It's awful. 
If you really want your heart broken, watch this one with toddlers. Because you know what most parents are doing when their children are toddlers? They're on their phone. And so technically they're with their toddler, but their toddler is doing everything to get some attention and love, and the parent is on the phone ignoring their kid. Um, we have become a lost focus society in some ways. But what if God commands us to Shema? Shema everything. Not just Shema, but Shema Shema. And I've told this story before, but um, tell it again. Uh, one of my close friends, um, he's actually older than I am, the saint that their family loved was this doctor named Dr. Gordon. And the reason why they loved Dr. Gordon is that he saved... Uh, their mother's life. So, um, Dr. Gordon, he, she, um, she was not, she was getting these headaches, she wasn't feeling well, you know, whatever. Uh, she went to a doctor, the doctor just said, oh, you know, just pushed her off. Uh, anyhow, she runs into this different doctor, Dr. Gordon, and Dr. Gordon says, tell me that one more time. And Dr. Gordon realizes that he has, she has cancer. So, in high school, Dr. Gordon saved his mother. So he actually um, worked for Dr. Gordon, cleaning his um, doctor's office, and they just loved Dr. Gordon. Do you know, but, and I just know this because they love Dr. Gordon. I never even met Dr. Gordon, and I love him. But you know what Dr. Gordon said? And I like this. He said, um, my best medical device in this office are these. So he said, you know, people will tell you what's wrong with you. Except the problem in medicine, if you're a doctor, you think you know all the answers. So he said, I always use these. And he said, sometimes I'll just have people repeat what they said because it's not like I didn't hear them the first time. Just it takes effort to attend. And so um, the same family, his nephew uh, is or his niece, sorry, his niece is getting her PhD in nursing, which isn't that great? Except he said, it's awful because she is no Dr. Gordon. <laughs> At Thanksgiving, Christmas stuff, she doesn't pay attention to anything but her phone. She will not be a Dr. Gordon. Um, and the command, the Shema, remember, it's the heart of Judaism, is listening, and this my point number two, Shema is that listening, attending, forms unity and community. If we don't listen to each other, um, we can't create community. And unfortunately, I think our society, we're conditioned to speak up, to speak out, um, speaking out. But the American spirituality doesn't train us to listen. And I'm just as bad. I mean, really, how often have you heard me say, let me shut up so I can just listen to you? I want to listen to you more. Yeah. I <laughs> but really, like, our society, everything's a constant monologue. And so, like, there's this one producer, he's very, creates these TV shows, Andrew Sorkin, very popular. The only problem is that he's the master of the monologue. All the characters... They just go off on these great monologues. But in any of his shows, nobody really listens to each other. They just lecture at each other. Or J.J. Abrams, the same thing. All his movies. There's really, 
There's no plot. There's no character development. There's just constant distraction. Or another one, there's, this was done in Cambridge where they did an experiment because of this lost focus attend, uh, data, and they called it the Family Dinner Project. Most families don't really eat together anymore. But Cambridge had these um, families just do this experiment of no cell phones around the dinner table. And what is the effect on the kids long-term of no cell phones around the dinner table? Is that those kids who parents incorporated that rule, they had a larger vocabulary, lower substance abuse, lower teen pregnancy, and higher self-esteem. Just from attention, shemaim. Shemaim creates community. The gift of hospitality is really your full attention. And so, uh, I don't know if you remember that interview by the former Dallas police chief. It was amazing. Um, there was these riots going on against the, or protests going on against the police because of some police violence. And the, Dal the Dallas police commissioner gets up there and he's uh, Afro-American. And he speaks out against the protests, against the police, but he did a great job. He said, I tell you what, you want to protest? How about this? Rather than protest, why don't we sit down and listen to each other? You want to really affect change? Rather than be angry and upset, volunteer to be, come, sign up to be a policeman, the kind of police that you want. Listen, attend to us, talk to us, meet us halfway. But all you want to do is yell and scream. So, like, I think it was a great interview, but the police chief was saying, no, what we need is Shema, not more, that's my language, not more anger. So, but we'd, we don't really want a Shema. We want to speak out, speak over, and yell at each other. Um, so, like, uh, I think the key of spirituality of the Shema is attending. And the problem is, I think, we don't. And I even, like, this sounds kind of strange. Years ago, years and years ago, it was my second year of priesthood. Uh, I was in Idaho Falls, and um, I got into this great, great group of people. Um, and we'd go rafting and camping together, and this one couple loved them because they were crazy. Um, and we're at the camp. We're at this campfire, and he's back in the tent rummaging for something. And honest to God, it was amazing to me. The uh, first time I noticed it, because he's in the tent, and he yells, Where's it? It's there! Just not, you're not looking! <laughs> so I said, um, you realize that wasn't a conversation. And she says, oh, I already know what he's looking for. I know, he, I know exactly what he's doing. And I said, but you guys didn't even speak in full sentences. <laughs> and she says, well, we don't need to. And I said, why don't you guys just grunt at each other? Like, <laughs> it just was so odd because they knew exactly. And part of me was kind of amazed by it. But then later, um, years later, I ran into them. And they're still married, but they're having marriage difficulties. And I thought that was so strange because at the beginning of their marriage, they could read each other's minds. Why did they have difficulty later? And I, that really threw me for a loop because they stopped listening to how their spouse changed. And they think they know everything about the other spouse, so they stop listening, 
And then they become chapters behind on knowing the other person. And they grow apart because they stopped attending to each other. So this sounds kind of strange. It got me thinking, wow, in marriages, you can get to know the other person so well that you stop attending. And then you grow apart. So not listening destroys community. But the research is the ability to listen, to really attend to each other, it builds community. And so the odd part is, not just psychologically, but neurologically. So there's this guy named um, uh, Hari Hassan at uh, Princeton, and he did these brain stories to track um, neural patterns. And this sounds really strange. The power of stories. That if I'm telling you a story, Audrey's brain knife begins to sync up. Um, and they put people in these brain scans, and people's, their neurosignature and their heart rates literally get synced up. They really are in the same wavelength. People that listen and feel attended to, their bodies, their brains, really do kind of up, sync up in the same patterns. And your body releases these feel-good chemicals. Um, so, like, that is, to me, absolutely amazing. Neurologically, we were meant to sync up together as one when we start to attend and listen to each other. So as I said, the ancient command of Judaism is that they're supposed to be these professional listeners that were sent by God. Pray the Shema at the beginning of the day and the end of the day, twice a day. And the study is people that train themselves to listen to stories, um, they keep themselves together. Um, you train yourself the other way as well. Uh, people train themselves either to listen and they fall in love, or they train themselves to listen to contempt. And I, I really mean that. Like, There's this great article, and the article was called uh, People Love Dead Jews. <laughs> and what it means is that after World War II, you know, it's Anne Frank and all this other stuff. Oh, we love that person, we love that person. But in the article, the person wrote, it's true that the Nazis were not Christians, but it's also true that the Nazis were children of Christians. And when the preaching of the virtue of contempt was high in Germany, um, the sin multiplies and infects everybody. You should be able to hear the voice of contempt. Um, or, you know who uh, uh, Agatha Christie was? She, um, uh, her husband was, uh, Hitler was taking over, and she yells to her husband, who's guarding outside, and says, Hitler is on the radio. Do you want to listen to him? And he says, no, I can hear the voice of hate from here. Like, so you're either attending yourself to recognize hate or love. And the second point of the Shema is love. Um, so the first is attention. The second is love. Um, to see, you have to see with love. And I'll never forget in my former parish, to be honest, there was one grumpy old woman, um, and she was a grumpy old woman. But the odd part is, after I got to know her, um, she really was this example of love. The grumpiness was the crust on the outside, and I fell in love with her, and she fell in love with me. That if you really choose to hear and see, you can fall in love with other people. Uh, people often say, saying that seeing is believing. 
But, you know, the Bible teaches the opposite. Um, first, you learn to pay attention. And what's more important than seeing is paying attention to love. You pay attention to love and faithful follow. Um, so paying attention is a type of prayer. The first purpose of meditation is not meditation, but awareness. Um, so, you know, you heard the old adage, you can't step in a stream twice. Well, the world is always changing. People are always changing. Therefore, you have to learn how to pay attention to the world and people. And like, I'm a big fan of the practice of the examine, where at the end of every day you examine, like name three things you're grateful for, two things um, you regret. So to me, it's awareness in two directions. Name three things you're grateful for, things that happen out there that you're paying attention to, and then look inside yourself as well. Um, it's a difference between intuition and sensate. Sensate people test high as they notice changes on everything. Like I have a friend who, the moment he walks into church, he immediately knew that a light was out. Honest to God, it could be a year before I notice a light is out. Um, great guy. He's a high sensate. Does that make sense? Um, but he's really incredibly low as an intuitive. His wife was boiling mad once, and he didn't notice. <laughs> um, but, like, so when it says Shema, I think you do it inside and outside. That's what I like about the examine. But um, it's just practicing. Um, each day is a day to become aware. Unfortunately, I think we think our, our scarcest resource is our money or our time. You know what our scarcest resource is? Our attention. And it's constantly being hijacked. Um, and so your attention is like that old adage about a gun. Be careful where you point that thing. You know, our reality becomes where we focus our attention. And so what if God commanded, wait a minute, before the day starts and the end of the day, you pray for attention. You pray that we could be attentive. Don't you love that? And I just think the great power is not speaking out. The great power is attention, is listening. So it's Shema Israel. Um, and Israel, so I'm just going on. So Shema is, oh, Israel. Um, Israel is not a person. It's a community. So this prayer is not for you individually. You individually do it. But it's a prayer of a whole community. So it's Shema Israel, and then it's the Lord your God is one. Now, when it says that, it doesn't mean, okay, there's one God and Zeus and all those others are not. When it says the Lord your God is one, um, let me just explain oneness. Um, so, in the Shema, listen, O Israel, the Lord, Lord your God is and the sign for one should be one, right? But it's two interlocking rings around. It means oneness, the source of all unity. Um, so when we pray the Lord is one, that's what it means. The more you should translate it in your head, oneness. Uh, God is the source of oneness. The Lord is. And when it says Lord, and I do like this, 
Think about like for early Christians, what the word Lord would have meant. Jews used the word Lord for Yahweh. But think about like Caesar. When Caesar was coming into Rome, Caesar would be ahead of the crowd, right? And then behind him is all the treasures. And the treasures are people. You know, hundreds and hundreds of slaves. Um, And the last would have been um, like, when he conquered the Gauls, the last person to come in would have been the king of the Gauls, and they put a sign over him that said, he threatens us no more. And so, in the Bible, when we call Christ Lord, it's this image. Jesus is not nervous or discouraged. We are. Um, but Jesus is the one who leads us into heaven. And in the end, the devil is changed. So when it says Lord, it means you know, absolute there is no other power um, and the Lord is one and the Shema I know we keep referring to it as a prayer but in one sense the Shema is not a prayer it's a declaration of faith because think about it it's not it's not an intercessory prayer you're not asking really for anything it doesn't ask God for anything but it expresses what God is that God is one It's a declaration of faith of God's oneness. To love. Our hope is to love. We become one with the Lord. Our hope is that we love. This is the ancient creed of Judaism. The same way we have a creed, Judaism has a creed. What's the Jewish creed? Listen, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. It's so important you put on your uh, head, you wrap your... um, uh, around your arms. Oh, um, I'm going to... So I have this outside my door. Um, have you ever seen these things? They're on the doorposts of every... So if you're Jewish, you attach that, and inside is Deuteronomy, and you kiss it and touch it before you walk through a door. Guess what's written in it? The Shema. Um, and when you pray the Shema... So it's this constant creed. It's all around Judaism. Oh, this is uh, uh, the Shema, but it's in a necklace, so it's around your heart. Um, That's another one. Um, And when you pray the Shema, uh, at one point you're supposed to close your eyes because no thing in creation can explain God. So um, you put your hands over your eyes. Now, um, think about this. Moses demands, before they enter the promised land, gives us command. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. So to keep the kingdom, to become a community, this is your command and your prayer. Uh, I love that. Um, and Jesus expands it. Where it expands, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and your neighbor as yourself. It's the ultimate creed slash prayer of a community and it's a prayer for oneness and like i you know i love near-death experiences and in so many near-death experiences one example i told us last week this guy comes back from a near-death experience and he says you know in heaven not only does he see the light but he sees everybody and everybody's connected so when he comes back he's floating over his body and he sees this nurse and he said she's incredible he said um, after seeing light, he said, you can see somebody and see their whole history. 
And this nurse, immediately when he saw her, he could see how she survived years of child abuse and became this great, caring person. Like, how did he know that? Or after the near-death experiences, when, before they come back to the body, suddenly they can hear and see what people think and feel. When it says the Lord your God is one, um, that's kind of what I kind of think heaven will be like. So why wouldn't we pray for that oneness now? And just like liturgically, liturgically, we're praying for that oneness. In Ephesians, um, Paul overuses, if you ever, ever read the letters of Paul, he overuses the word one. He plays off that there's one God, one Lord, one community, one church, one baptism, one cup, one bread that we break, one spirit that moves in all and is through all. So one plus one plus one plus one equals God. And liturgically in baptism and the Eucharist, we're entering into that oneness. So you have attention and oneness and this prayer for love. Except, and this is what I like, in Judaism, when it says uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, technically in Hebrew, it's in the plural. Now that should strike you as strange. So we should say, love with all our hearts. Um, but, um, and I just want to explain why it says hearts. So uh, in this Jewish commentary, when uh, it mentions that, when Jacob meets his son Joseph, remember Joseph was lost in Egypt. Do you remember that story? And Jacob is, is an old man. He's become blind. He's lost his beloved wife. Um, and sees uh, Joseph, and they both start to cry. But in Hebrew, what it says is that Jacob shamad. You know, as he's crying and throwing himself around the neck of his lost son, he shamad. Now, why does it say he listened if he's crying? Because remember, shamad means to pay attention. But when he's grabbing his son, it means all his joys and pains and losses um, he listened for God with all his heart. I love that image that hopefully at the end of my life, as a possibly bald, blind old man, maybe after that I can truly shema with all parts of my heart, that I'm attentive to God in all my pains and losses. And so the shema, this sounds kind of strange, is connected with healing. Shema is connected with love, but to learn how to shema with all parts of your heart to love, it creates healing. So the Shema has 280 words in it, but the Jews believe that there's 280, sorry, 248 words. Jews also believe that there were 248 bones in the body. So they believe the Shema over a lifetime, it reconnects the whole body together and it reconnects human beings. So you pray for love. And remember, love is an action, not a feeling. Um, I, I know that sounds kind of strange, but um, God can't command you to have a feeling. Christ can command you to have an action. So think about like Matthew 25, at the last judgment, you will be judged on love. But you'll be judged on how much you lo ha love you had for others. When I was hungry, did you feed me? When I was thirsty, did you give me drink? 
Or John of the Cross said, this great mystic, he said, in the evening of our life we'll be judged on love. Love is not attraction. Love is not an emotion. It's an action. And how much you loved others, exactly how much you loved God. And so like, I have these funerals, right? I always think it's so disappointing when I said, tell me something about your spouse. And they say, well, he loved his family. And I'm always like, really, that's the low bar. Like, shouldn't you have loved with all parts of your heart? Um, unfortunately, I think our society just loves to define love as sexual love or attraction. Um, remember, at the Last Supper, Christ washes her feet. Love is not attraction. It's an action. Christ doesn't command us to have an emotion. Christ commands us to have duty. Um, and so uh, the Shema is love that will love completely. Um, anyhow, so I love the Shema because it's supposed to build community. So um, hopefully I put this other one in here. Um, oh, there you go. Um, <laughs> just in case you missed what Jesus said, um, put that out. But really, I know I get carried away with, but I love the Shema. The Shema, number one, is supposed to be, we're supposed to be a people who are great power, is not yelling at other people, but listening, attending with all our heart, mind, and soul. Um, our greatest prayer is that we can love God and other people. We pray that day after day after day. The third is the Shema builds community. So Jesus in the, in the gospel um, picks up this ancient Jewish idea of, no, we want to be a people of Shema. So anyhow, um, only because I'll have to be leaving soon, I want to open up to questions, um, opinions, confusion, why I love this prayer slash creed. So, yes. Yeah, so what Craig said was, don't you think we've gotten away from listening? Well, we, and that's true. You know what people are doing um, whenever you're talking to them? Oh, dang it, these papers. Um, they're already thinking of their response. But what they notice is that people that really pay attention, they actually pay attention to everything you said, and they don't start uh, coming up with a response until you're done paying attention. Or this is kind of strange, because... I admit, I don't shema that well. Because um, hold on, let me tell you. Uh, <laughs> um, so this sounds kind of strange. This one woman, I, gosh, I forget what she was doing. It could have been nursing or something. Anyhow, um, what was she? No, it wasn't nursing. Anyhow, she had to give presentations and listen, but she wasn't a good listener. So as a younger woman, she took an improv class. And like improv is learning to work with somebody else. And so like um, in improv class, you have to work off each other, which means you really, they try and train you. Don't think of your answer when the person's just beginning. Listen to everything they said and then work off that or you'll miss the context. And most people don't. 
So they're not good at improv. It takes time to really let people finish. But then you also have trained that whatever action you're doing, they do this exercise that we do the action together because you're trying to get people synced up. And so um, anyhow, she becomes this person who's really good at listening, does a lot of improv, and now what she does for Google and all these companies is teach people how to be better listeners, uh, really through improv. And so she tells the story, she says, um, I was, you know, our society is that, no, let me tell you where you need to change. People don't listen to each other. They're always geared up to say, I'm a victim, or I'm, you know, but they don't really listen to the other side. They already have in their head their answer before they've even met you. So just to get people to, like, she tells these stories about improv, where that wasn't what the situation was. So they'll give you a situation, now act out this. You didn't even work off each other. You already had a script in your head, and he's just not meeting you. Um, so you have to go through that. Or the actions, where this one young actress, she teaches improv, this one actress, she's really good at yoga, so they're doing this improv, and immediately she takes her head, I'm going to foot, and I'm going to show you, and puts it over her head. Um, and the other actor, he struggled with it. So she said afterwards, says, no, if improv is learning to sync up together, can you figure out what you did wrong? <laughs> yeah, she says, to be honest, and the woman says it. She says, young actor says, yeah, I already decided when I was going to come in here, I was going to do that pose and impress all you people. But I ruined the improv because I didn't even care if he could do it. I, I already had my agenda. And so, yeah, I think, yeah, we're a society that doesn't listen. We're a society that tells you what we've already pre-programmed. So. But not just psychologically. I think that we do that as a church. Um, that's, I know I'm kind of odd. I shouldn't mention this, but to be honest, this is going to shock you. I wish people would put down their catechisms. <laughs> and I know that sounds strange because I'm all for religious education. So why a catechism? Do you know how often people say to me, but, you know, it's, you know, they're already, they have the bullets in the chamber because they look for something in the catechism. They want to argue with Protestants or, you know what I mean? Like, have you thought about just being able to really attend to other people? Does that make any sense? They have the answer and you just need to listen to me. Uh, I don't know, the ancient creed prayer of the Bible is Shema, attend other people. Before you tell them what's wrong with them, maybe we should just learn to attend. Maybe we should become Dr. Gordon. But, okay, Paula, I noticed you're blinking, so I couldn't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Kathy, anything? I got five minutes. Oh, okay, over there. Oh, I think it's a lot further. Because think about, like, I love that image of Jacob. Like, he's not listening. They're both crying. Nothing is being said. But as an old man, he's learned how to shema with all his heart. His pain, his joy, he can feel other people's pain and joy. That's really shemaing. It's not your ears. It's your heart. Does that make sense?
our hearts, our head, our actions. Now, to love with all our heart, mind, and strength. Sorry, I didn't get what you meant. Yeah. Um, so, to be honest, I think um, the books, not that you really want to read it, um, 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 Lost Focus, um, I really think that's a true book, that our society has lost focus. We can't really meditate or read or concentrate long on another. So, um, like meditations, you know why meditation is hard? You have to learn how to attend. Um, no, really, like I, I took this years and years ago, a class on meditation. It's amazing how many random thoughts I have. I can only concentrate for about three seconds. I'm a goldfish. Um, but people who meditate regularly, they can concentrate on one thing for a long time. But I think our society is like an ADD society. So... I've been here a year and a half. It just seems longer when I'm here. Um, well, yeah, I would say a mix, because A, I'm an idiot, let's put that out. B, um, I do kind of think fall, people fall asleep, so I try and throw things out just to, as zingers to see if people are paying attention, like that guy sleeping over there checking his phone. Uh, <laughs> so I do do that just to, because, you know. Okay, yeah, way back there. Well, this is my weakness. Um, yeah, in meetings, I'm terrible at meetings. I'm terrible at, uh, like, uh, I'm terrible at meetings because, uh, especially if it's policy meetings, I get lost in policy. That's the worst. Like, I have honestly been to meetings, and, like, we don't have a lot here, but in my former parish, we had a lot of policy meetings because we were starting a school. And... Like 20 minutes into them, I'm thinking, well, what are we talking about again? <laughs> Was this about the school uniform? <laughs> I literally have no idea until I read the notes what I attended. So yes, I've had that with meetings many, many times. So, All right, I hate to say this. Um, so wrap up a uh, couple things. One, I have a mass to go to. Two, um, next week I think we're doing... 
the beatitude. So two classes on the beatitude, because once again, that's a morality of a community. And then after that, I think I'm doing architecture. Now, I have to warn you, with the architecture one, I'm sneaking this in. Um, I'm going to go through different stages. So I'm going to do like um, church architecture and Judaism in the Bible, early church, um, Romanesque, Gothic. But I'm going to start, and this is going to sound strange, with um, Paleolithic, <laughs> Stone Age. Because people sometimes say, well, what did the stone, how did the Stone Age people pray? They didn't have religion. Yes, they did. And we know this archaeologically. And it was expressed in architecture. I know this sounds kind of strange, but so one class will be Paleolithic spirituality, and it deals with architecture. It will come in important later. And Neolithic architecture. Um, so Stone Age stuff. So... I just feel bad because I'm kind of going to misrepresent that a little. Um, it does deal with architecture and beauty and religion, but I'm just afraid people like, you're talking about cave paintings? Yes. That's where religion started. So, All right, God bless. I have a mass to go to, so I'll see you guys later. Hello, this is Father Len McMillan. I'd like to take a moment to thank you for listening to our podcast. If they've been a blessing to you, I'd also like to invite you to prayerfully discern supporting the podcast financially. Your generosity would help support the ongoing production and distribution of the podcast. If you'd like to make a donation, you can simply click the link in the podcast description. Be sure to tell us your donation is for the podcast in the comment section of the submission form. Again, thank you for your support as we seek to share the good news of the gospel. May God bless you for your generosity.